You're fed up with the 9 to 5. You've been working hard for years and you're just not seeing the results you want. You want to break free from the traditional career but don't know how. Business Breaks is here to help. Welcome to the latest episode of Business Breaks where we delve into the world of business and explore the key topics and strategies that drive success. Today, John and I are talking about profitability measures, those essential tools that help business owners understand the financial health of their companies and make informed decisions. So whether you're starting out or you're a seasoned entrepreneur, measuring your profitability is crucial to ensuring the success of your business. So from gross profit margin to return on investment, there are a magnitude of measures to choose from, and it can be overwhelming to know which are the correct ones to focus on. So we'll be breaking down the most commonly used profitability measures and discussing their pros and cons. We'll also be diving into the nitty gritty and what they reveal about your business. So welcome, John, if you could share your thoughts. Hi, Dante. Um, Yeah, I suppose from a pure profitability point of view, uh, I'll go a little bit through my consultancy what we i'll just give you a, a taste of what they the, they do and organization rewilding um mm. their key um things like there's just the three types of of money now they're coming out from the point of view of you're bringing everybody in the company needs to be moving towards the same goal so it's a way of communication hell it's a language thing and they, they have um effectively the, the money you earn the money you make and the money you keep the money you earn is your revenue. The, the money you make is your gross profit, and the money you keep is your net profit. They they just keep it very simple. It, it's it's communications because it's communications for non accountants that they want everybody working mm. towards the same thing. And their recommendation is in that, and a very clear recommendation is it's the it's the money you make. It's your gross profit is what you should be trying to maximize from a simplicity point of view for communicating with your your employees with the rest of the business mm-hmm. the thing behind that is well the money you wear in your revenue doesn't really tell you a lot you can you can make millions in revenue if you're selling at a loss if you're you're going to go under if you're just barely making any kind of a margin on it then you're not going to cover your overheads so that's not a good indicator the money you keep the net profit is probably that's the bottom line it's the most important thing ultimately but it, there's an awful lot of stuff that goes into that and that can get confusing in the communication mm. trying to get the whole business of non-accountants to be walking towards it. Whereas the the money you make, the gross profit is reasonably straightforward. It's reasonably, uh, people can understand what it is and what makes it up and how they can impact it. And um, if you maximize that, given that the stuff below that line that, that walks into the net profits, it's not fixed. Um, I, I think it's bad when you call them fixed costs. They're not fixed, but they're reasonably stable. Mm. They don't change dramatically um, depending on how much sales you make. They they stay reasonably stable. They'll they'll move up or down in steps, but they won't be constantly adjusting just based purely on their sales. So you can, to a certain degree, not focus on them on a day-to-day basis. And if you can maximize your gross profit, then you will be covering all those stable expenses and as a result, increasing your net profit by default. So 
they're the recommendations of, of the consultancy methodology that I tend to use when I'm dealing with the clients. How about would you would you agree with that, or would you kind of think it's too simplistic, or what would your thoughts be? Which one to focus on if you're if you're trying to communicate to the to the company as a whole? I think it's a good initial indicator, and as you say, there are different ways of measuring profits, and the one you mentioned is you've jumped from gross profit margin to net profit margin, and net profit margin. Put it simply, is profit after all of the deductions, including interest payments and tax. And then between gross profit and net profit, there's also your operating profit, which, as you mentioned, forget about the taxes that you have to pay because you're in a certain jurisdiction. Forget about the interest you may have to pay or you could be receiving, depending on how your balance sheet is structured and how, how to what degree you're leveraged. But operating profit is also important in my mind because, yes, to an extent, you can say that everything is like it's it's you have your base operating capacity. And then on top of that, you you're focusing on getting more throughput through that through that business in terms of gross profit. Assuming you've gone past break-even, the more you earn at the gross profit level, the more money you make as a business. That sounds That's reasonably sound. However, in terms of value, you also need to think about the operating profit margin as well, I believe, because it takes account of all the expenses associated run it, with running the business. And when we talk about measures... There is an argument that says, depending on the type of business you operate, you may need to factor those in because they have an impact in terms of understanding where you're making money by products and by customers. So being able to understand once you've driven that gross profit, it's not necessarily as precise because there will be areas of your business where you'll be making money. And that will be subsidizing areas of the business where you could be losing money. And depending on the size, that could be a big number. And it's good as a probably an ex-management accountant to know where are you possibly losing money? What do you think? Yeah, um, I, I should I should emphasize with the, the organization rewilding piece and that that's not the accounting recommendations, that's communication recommendations because of the right. idea communicating to all the rest of the business to get everybody new thing most of them aren't accountants so they would not understand all those nuances that go into net profit or operating profit and that so yeah. the easiest thing to do is communicate we're maximizing the gross profit the money we make mm-hmm. and everybody works together but then yeah beyond that then that's that's kind of um, where you're trying to just maximize things beyond that for the controls for the performance measurement and that yeah you've all those other things including the the infamous IBITA yeah, um, which which does it is important to a certain degree. I, I know most of the time it's used as a a mechanism for you know, if you're trying to sell the company or gain investment, and EBITDA is a big one for valuing the company um, or negotiating the values in any way. But um, it's also I, I do think as well where a lot of these things and your return on investment, your return on capital implied, and that that using using figures that do not include depreciation. Is a, is a good thing because I've seen it happen in, in um, 
especially small, medium-sized companies, if they're using those kind of metrics, like a small company is actually quite a large company when you look at the the what what the core off is. Certainly in this part of the world, UK and Ireland, pretty large, a pretty decent sized small company. So they would be getting involved in having to measure these metrics. But I have seen it happen where um, they've artificially made it look better because they've they've gotten the depreciation. They're using really old equipment which is fully depreciated. And the, uh, one of the reasons why that the, the direct the managers or the department heads, department directors are not in buying new equipment, which they badly need, is because when they buy the new equipment, suddenly there's a whole new hit of um, depreciation coming out, which will lower all their metrics if they're yeah. used as their various return of investment um, areas. And that can be really bad because then by the time they do get around, they wait until it's broken before they fix it, rather than trying to avoid it breaking in the worst place by keeping their equipment up to date. So all those nuances with, with the variations on net profit, whether it's EBITDA, uh, there's various different, it, it kind of, you can get from an accountant point of view, it gets confusing. There's so many abbreviations, <laughs> all messing around the same thing well one of the things i would kind of be inclined to take out would be the depreciation definitely um interest you, you kind of argue to toss about because if you're borrowing to finance then the interest is a legitimate cost and, and should be measured where but then other people uh, would be pointing out well you don't really have too much control over your interest same with the tax and um, that's just a uh, what 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 your tax domicile of the company is or your business is you don't have any say in that really most small companies don't but anyway the large multinationals obviously do but yeah they they, uh, they are all and it can get confusing even for an accountant there's so many different versions I mean I, I do recall the old joke from years ago the, the cartoon the, the guy goes into his accountant and says okay I'm here now you can tell me how much profit did I make for last year? <laughs> Accountant turns around and says, them, "Well, how much profit did you want to make?" Because there's so many different ways of measuring it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, it can get confusing. All right, can also get into ethical issues as well. I mean, we talk about EBITDA, interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization, and that amortization piece capitalizing in something that's intangible like your brand or your intellectual property that's scope for uh, and also even on depreciation making a policy change that determines what should be classed as long-term versus short-term and if you want to massage your profits oh one year we're making too much profits let's let's just expense everything because it's not really a capital expenditure or another year, your profits are light, and you decide, oh, actually, maybe we should capitalize it because we'll be using it over a longer period of time, and it could be something like software. Software costs, that's usually a good one to attack. And I suppose, though, in that regard, we should as well make the, the, the clear division between your, your legal um, profit statements those that are, have to follow a accountant standards FRS of yeah. FRS if it's a yeah um, US gap and that um, and and also then your your internal management accounts I'm yeah. where I'd be kind of going 
being a management account, but also them being the consultants that I am. And I, I, I rarely, uh, well, when I was a management accountant, I did have to worry about the statutory stuff because uh, you know, as a management accountant, you have, you have to do both things, the financial accounts and the, the performance. Mm-hmm. My preference was always in the internal accounts, the management accounts, the performance accounts, which don't have the same um, restrictions. There's no ethical problem there with you not counting stuff or counting stuff as long as it's it's from your internal management perspective and therefore what's key is be consistent. If you keep mm-hmm. changing it every year, then you're not getting any insight into how the business is going because you're just making it up as you go along. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a rabbit hole to to avoid if you can because, yeah, A, you have to dance around auditors and B, you're not really, you're focusing too much on playing games with massaging numbers you're not actually managing well, the business yeah that's it but it, it, it's it's legal and okay to do that for internal reports it's not legal or okay to do that for published <laughs> accounts that your tax returns are going to be made on and are going to be published to the, the whatever company's house yeah registration office in ireland and wherever the u.s equivalents and other countries equivalents are that if it's being published to the public knowledge and it's being returned to the taxman you are very restricted with what you can and can't um, do and say. But for your internal ones, you have a lot more flexibility. And I suppose from our point of view, we're more focusing on the internal ones here. But yeah. I mentioned like Ibita is not a, that doesn't get published anywhere. That's something that you walk out, the investors walk out themselves and things like that. It might be in notes to the accounts, fast things, but it's not in the, it's not a P&L figure. In the official same with most of our stuff. I mean, even things like um, return on investment, return on capital implied, and that they'll be kind of sides things that potential investors will walk out themselves. It's mm-hmm. not something that's going to be published or it might make it into a note somewhere in the financial statements, but it's not the front and center um, yeah. published things. So, I, and to make sure that people, both listening here and in their own things, realize that. Oh, I'm not saying that you should be playing games with the accounts, of course. But it is interesting when you hear about these scandals on financial Mm. reports and companies going under because they haven't got really an accurate measure of their profitability. And a lot of it is through actually misstating expenditures and having things on the balance sheet that shouldn't be there. Again, we could go into... A number of case studies, both from both recent and from the distant past, you know. But I think the most important thing is business decisions are made on these measures, and therefore, to the extent that they're relevant to the business, they need to be as accurate and as relevant as possible, and and valuable. Because if you've got the wrong measure, then you're not going to make great decisions. And it's interesting: is profit really? itself a great indicator of a business's health would you argue that it's only a leading to cash flow which yeah. is really the true measure of how successful a business is yeah i would say so because i mean in reality you, you uh and people but, but it, it is important though because i mean i think people can uh underestimate profits profits mm. will lead as you said your know, cash flow is what's important. They're very profitable companies and made lots and lots of profits and went under because they ran out of cash. You know, over trading is a terrible thing, especially for small young companies. They they can or or 
a company that's growing really quickly, they can overtrade and they can run out of money, even though they're very profitable. Um, and they go under, if you run out of money, you're gone. Um, but by the same token, uh, while you can make losses and be a strong business, you can you can't sustain the losses because where's the money coming from? If you're making losses, what that's telling you is, okay, you've plenty of cash at the moment, you're not going to run out, so you have a viable company. But in the future, you are going to run out of money if you don't start making profits. You need to be bringing something back in eventually. Um, mm-hmm. Some companies, that was grand, um, which which is why I suppose even though we're focusing on the P&L for profits now, you do take into account the balance sheet to see how much free cash you have in the balance sheet that you yeah. sustain losses for a certain amount of time. That it is, you know, vitally important though that uh, you pay attention to both. Even though we're mentioning profits all the time, it is a leading indicator for um, cash, and you you can be a profitable company and go under if you are not paying attention to the cash. Yeah, it's funny leading and lagging indicators. I mean, profit is a leading indicator for your cash health. It's also your landing. Exactly. It's a lagging indicator for your business performance. You're looking back after everyone's made their sales, incurred their costs, and then you're figuring out, well, were my sales great? (laughs) My overall expenditures. And therefore, what falls out is your bottom line. And then you can say, does it look, are we in the black, which means we're healthy, or are we in the red, which means we're unhealthy? And yeah, and you can though. I mean, like, like my company, my own personal company, makes no profits every year. It's a healthy company. It's because I don't leave money in the company. I take it out with salary. Mm. In Ireland, I know it's slightly different in the UK, but in Ireland, if you own your own company or a proprietary director, um, you're not allowed to take anything out as dividends or anything like that. Everything has to go through the PAYE system, so it's salary. Um. Mm. Call it what you want, but it's going to be treated as salary from a tax point of view. Um, so, so that's what I do because if I left any money in it, I'd have to pay corporation tax. Then, when I did finally take her out, I'd still have to pay income tax on whatever is left. So, <laughs> so but that is a valid thing, especially when you're not a listed company and not having to pay dividends. Um, a lot of companies will just kind of clear it. Um, and it look like, looks like the company hasn't made profits in years, but it's a very healthy company. It's just that they're paying the profits that they're paying out. And that's a lot of how some of the bigger companies that you have the Twitters back in the day and um, I think LinkedIn as well. And a lot of those kind of companies, they were making losses and losses and losses mm. for years and nobody was worried about it. Everybody was financing it and they were still being able to raise funds. And that was a large part because the reason they were making losses was because they were spending the money investing in research R&D effectively is what they were really spending on. But they they could have at any stage, and that was one of the key things that made them stronger, made people willing to invest was at any stage they could have turned off the R&D and made profits. Yeah. So they were healthy companies at that time. I know things have changed now, especially with Twitter and as we've discussed previously, where um, that that's another thing as well that you can sustain losses for a certain amount of time. Profits aren't to be all and end all, but you have to keep an eye on the cash. You have to be able to have expenses that you can turn off if you need to turn them off and make profits if you need to make the profits and you're okay or have plenty of cash in reserve and make sure that you're making profits long before that cash runs out. Yeah, you can always massage your working capital if your business is active and healthy. 
although I don't recommend for the long-term postponing payment of your suppliers because oh. that will come back on your operations as well. So work, healthy working capital management, a healthy, shall we say, cash cash control and awareness of what's what, what you're expecting to come in, what's going out. Because there may be a customer who misses a payment for a very good reason, and it can be a pain, it can be a hit to a business. You may have an ongoing relationship. Suddenly, a customer goes bankrupt, and they've got God knows two hundred thousand pound or whatever a debt that takes that wipes out all your profit in one period, or even your year. So you have to be careful how how your receivables. How healthy are your receivables? Because, yeah, it, it has a huge impact on your cash flow. And that ultimately is, profit is one indicator of business health, but your cash flow is your lifeblood. Well, that's it. Cash flow is um, an easier. If you run out of cash, you're gone, no matter how healthy your accounts look. Um, whereas profits and P&L, profits and losses are longer term. Yeah. Uh, and I mean that that can be, as I said, you know, especially companies that are growing very fast. They can not they, they get too they get especially if they're smaller companies and they're growing. I have seen it where they they almost get too excited about the growth prospect and we haven't looked at the thing. And what I've seen is they they made a great sale of they've, they've tripled their normal sales thing with, with one big huge customer. And when you look at the thing, yet yeah, that one big huge customer though is um, taking 120 days to pay it. Yet you've had to go to your your suppliers and get the stuff for it, and your suppliers are still only giving you thirty days. So now suddenly there's a ninety day gap between you have to pay your supplier, but you haven't been received. Yeah. And and that's and that gap is where people go go bust that they did yeah. they got too excited about the sale and they didn't organize the finance. They didn't go to their bank and get an overdraft facility or or yeah. find somebody who would do it, and they so got bust. But they made huge profits. They made more profit than they'd ever made before, and they went. Their company is gone as a result. Yeah. Uh, so profits, they're a delayed reaction. Um, keep while this podcast is on the face of it about profits, you kind of do have to emphasize or make sure the cash flow is sort of be always keeping one eye on the cash flow and the the other eye on the profits. For um, but profits is a strategic issue. Uh, on the company's health it's understanding things like your products your product p- portfolio your customer lifetime value your total market your growth projections and your business strategies but at the same time your day-to-day keeping your eye on the ball in the moment so there's the tactical element that could cripple your business heaven forbid you don't have a sound sound control or sound grip on your on your day-to-day activities and sometimes when a company is fighting for its life financially that's when they start looking more deeply at their cash flow but at the same time if you can't just look at your cash flow day-to-day otherwise you your business will deteriorate through lack of competition so you have to balance kind of the short term and long term and this is where profit is important that's it, because I mean, I, I I think we've discussed that on a previous podcast. I, I think, and um, that was one of the issues I came across before was um the, the guy who was managing the thing basically through the bank accounts. He was looking at his bank statements, seeing plenty of money, plenty of money, plenty of money, and that was grand. And then he was making decisions on spending and decisions on things based on that. 
Um, what he wasn't doing was paying any attention to his profit and loss, which was would have been telling him, you're making losses, you're making losses, you're making losses. So while he had plenty of money, he wasn't replenishing it. And then he was going off and he was spending the money on uh, various business expenses, but they were they were optional. Like he could have not spent on them. But he thought, he'd loads of money, he can't spend on them. And you're kind of trying, no, you're making losses here. You need to hold on to yeah. this money to cover you because eventually those losses will catch up with you. And yeah. if you've spent all your money on these optional expenses that you didn't have to, you you will run out of money. It, it's a predictor and uh, it is very important to, to um, the, the P&L is important. I know you can manipulate it even perfectly legitimately. You can manipulate it, you know, under the FRSs and the IFRSs and the US gap and that you often have options with what to do. And as you mentioned, the management views as well, yeah. cutting it, slicing and dicing it multiple ways. So you, you can say, oh, we can we can manipulate things. So it's not that important. It's the cash flow that's the most important. But it is still important. The important thing is to be consistent. Whatever way you choose to, to do it, consistently do that. And it will then work for you as a predictor because this is where we're going. We've got plenty of cash and we're making lots of profits. That's great because that means your cash is going to continue to grow mm. in the future. We've got plenty of cash and we're making losses. Okay, now we need to be a little bit, we need to get these losses around the profits that we're okay at the moment because we've got the cash, but we will run out if we don't start making profits eventually. Uh, and vice versa, we're running out of cash, but we're making great profits. Well, hang on a second, you're going to, we're going to go bust. You know, if we, if we, don't, we, we need to, maybe we need to slow down on the profits. Maybe the profits we're making aren't healthy profits. There, we're giving too much credit to people. Um, and it's taking too long to receive the money in and we'll be bust long before they have to pay us. So maybe we should stop these sales and focus on the, the good customers, even if they're not as many of them. And therefore, you're, you're, you won't have the scale, but at least you're getting the cash in. And that makes sense. There's good. I've heard people talk about good profits and bad profits. And as you say, that's a, a great example of bad profits where you're having to extend extend your your leverage or extend your or compromise your cash conversion cycle in order to allow for the profits to be made. So if you have a customer who is highly profitable, but then conversely a bad payer, that impacts your operation. And you may end up having to hire more people in order to chase those debts because maybe they have reasons they say, oh, we didn't receive this this confirmation, we don't we don't recognize these products that are delivered. And it may be that they just they're just not profitable themselves or they they have poor cash management and they're just stretching their creditors, which happens to be your business, which is forcing you to have to chase them down. And then it can leave you in a catch twenty two as well when you have one of those customers and you don't recognize it quickly. They you get so kind of they, they owe you so much money that you can't write it off, which means you're stuck with them. And that means then they, they can take advantage of you because now they have a little bit. You want us to pay it? Yeah. We want more suppliers and you're kind of stuck. I have to supply them. Otherwise, I'm not going to get paid for what I've already supplied and I yeah. can't afford it. And you're caught then. And, and that can happen. It, it, it doesn't even have to be a particularly bad uh well they are obviously bad customers i think but um that happens quite a lot and i'm not going to mention company names over here but oh 
You can talk about any large supermarket in the past. That's ex- exactly. That's what I was exactly going to say. It is the supermarkets over here. I'm not going to mention the exact ones. Um, one of them, but, but you have similar ones in the UK as well. Of course, they of are, course. But they've got the small suppliers, the, the small companies that supply them, and they really, really take advantage of the the power disparity yeah, between them. Yeah, and and there's nothing that the little supplier once they get in with the supermarkets, they're kind of stuck there because. They, they're owed so much by the, the, the supermarkets, they can't stop supplying. Because if they stop supplying, it's not like the supermarket will refuse to pay them outright, but their supermarket will make it very difficult and will probably involve having to get solicitors involved and all that. So in order to try and get paid something on a regular basis, they have to keep supplying them. And then it gets even more and more. It, it, they ha- they're the notorious ones in this part of the world. And anyway, UK and Ireland, they're notorious for it. But I'm sure there are other... Uh, and I do find that having worked it with uh, and that a lot of large companies do tend to have this thing, oh, we are this big multinational PLC. They should accept our terms. And you're kind of thinking, well, la, 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 hang on a second. Our terms are 90 days credit. A small company, a small supplier can't afford to go 90 days, three months without. See, and then it's even worse because generally they'll bill you at the end of the month so if they supply you at the start of the month, they bill you at the end of the month, there's 30 days and then it's 90 days credit from that. So it's it's nearly four months um, before they get paid from from when they delivered the goods or service. And, yeah. and kind of question the ethics of that. Obviously, if, if Well, they're like killing are... small businesses, right? And yeah. that's what's happened. A lot of industries have been crippled because they've been in a business transaction of unequal partnerships. And unfortunately, the larger partner will dictate terms. And the smaller one looking for the business will obviously accept it. And because they're excited, they, as you say, they're looking at the opportunity for growth and having a big partner. But And that's not to say all big partners are like that. However, you have to be very careful and you have to protect yourself, as it were. Yeah, um, that's it, exactly. You know, just make sure you have everything and... and- don't be blinded by the prospect of quadrupling your top line, your sales. Um, pay attention to what all the uh, bits are. Now, that's where we're going at it from the point of view. And I, I'd imagine most of our listeners probably are small, mid-sized companies. So we wouldn't have too many CEOs of multinational companies. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if we do have any multinational um, head of people, we'd be saying, don't try to force, don't over... Um, you know, don't don't overestimate your own importance either, because yeah, uh, I have had that um, where I was a consultant for for the company and they made it statements to me, so it wasn't affecting me. It was about another supplier, and they made a statement. But we're um, this we're we're their biggest customer, so yeah. they have to do what we. And I had to point out to them I, I didn't have direct knowledge of the specific supplier, but I knew of the industry. And I pointed out to the um, the guy who was saying this that um, well, actually, you may be the biggest company that they have on their customer list, but the amount of work you're giving them is actually very average for the uh, industry. Even much smaller companies would be buying as many licenses from them as you're buying. So you're not that big of a deal to them. That if you tried, if you pushed your luck too much, yeah. they could cut you off because you're no more important to them than any of their other customers because you're, you're very the amount of licenses you have bought that they're supporting are, is very average from yeah. what I've seen in the industry as a whole 
couldn't tell you about that specific supplier, but other suppliers in that industry, they all this is the the, the average size of their um, of their support contract, and you are very much in the lower part of that average range. So don't overestimate your um, your your ability just because you're a large company. Yes, I guess you could look at it as the cost of acquisition, and the larger the customer, the larger the acquisition cost potentially. And unfortunately, when you enter into a relationship with a large customer, you have to think about, well, do I have the current means to meet their capacity demands? You could suddenly find yourself trying to desperately hire machinery or bring in new staff in order to support the business with these additional demands because large customers, they have a whole heap of bureaucracy that you have to deal with in order to get paid. So multiple hoops to jump through, even interfacing with their systems. And then they usually try to make it so that the work is easier on their side. So when you're shipping out, they they only they only actually pay what they recognize on their systems. So and they'll pay through EDI. So they have their internal references. They won't they won't align themselves to your accounting system. So trying to match the receipts and payments is another thing. And again, I'm, I said we wouldn't geek out on it, but operationally, these things happen in real life and it's exciting to talk about. It does. And I, I have to admit now, many, many years ago, you know, when I was working in, in, um, in a company as an employee, and um, we did have that. It was a big, big, very big customer. And they were doing that, trying to force us into their system to sign up for this uh, Thing in order to be able to to bill them to send them invoices, mm. and uh, we just said no. This is how we send invoices. You want us to supply you. This is our system. You fall in line with this. We send the invoices, but by email as it was. And if you want to put into some special system that you've set up, grants, you could put it into that system. But we're not signing up for it. We're not paying a licensing fee for this system, um, and that's it. And and they they accepted it because what we were offering was too important to them to to pass up. And they needed us. Mm. We didn't actually need them. It was a nice big customer. It, it would add to the yeah. growth. We didn't need. Them. Which and system that, was it? Was it uh, Conquer? It was one of those was, SAP ones. With time, but it was back in early. Maybe it could have been Conquer. I'm not sure. It was one that we were supposed to sign up. We had to pay technically a license fee for, and then we would upload the uh, our invoice. That's like Conquer, yeah. They're not paying a license fee. Yeah, you know, yeah. know what I mean? Doing, uh, doing, uh, getting involved in an implementation, and that was a purchasing system uh, interfacing with the pay- payment system. And, yeah, it streamlines everything. But it's amazing how big they Stream, right? streamlines everything from on their point of view. We, we oh, no, no. make things a lot more expensive to do business. And yeah, then, so I, I wasn't even sure what the, the um, system was called. It probably was Concord because we didn't even consider it. We just said no. It was, yeah, said, it was introducing wanted, introducing a pay-to-play business model or operating model. And um, I mean, there was the little bit of because at the time I was the management accountant on it. So while we did have the backing of the things, there was a little bit of me that was saying, right, if they're willing to pay the license fee, I don't mind uploading through their system. Yeah. But then there was another part of me saying, but it's going to be a pain because it means I can't just send out invoices. I have You'll to pay someone 
you'll pay yeah, someone yeah. or you'll have to do it yourself. Yeah. So, and I mean, that's another thing as well. If you're a small company and you're getting in a large company, maybe it's worth testing that, that if they start making, we want 90 days credit. No, our thing is 30 days credit. If you are not willing to accept 30 days credit, then don't, we're not doing business with you. Or you because, can charge an interest penalty. Charge an interest penalty. Yeah, that, that's okay. Fine. So 90 days. It's more expensive now, but we'll discount it if you pay us around 40 days and that bets us back to the original. Exactly. <laughs> or you just say, if you don't pay within 30 days, you get 5% or whatever the costs of your borrowings are because you're going to yeah. have to borrow. Yeah. And that's it. And I know a lot of small businesses will be saying, oh, we won't have the power to do that. But then you have to ask yourself, right, if you don't have the power to do that because there's too much competition and somebody else will take the job will accept it, they, yeah, because you really because they they'll they'll work you even when you're in there they'll still be constantly working you against your competition and things will just get worse and worse and worse because they know you're afraid to lose them whereas if you've got something special that the competition doesn't have then the supplier no matter how big they are they need you because they you're the only one who can give them what they they fully need yeah so, focus on building your competitive advantage rather yeah. than waste distracting yourself trying to service an unprofitable relationship. Yeah, and it will get worse. If they're in a position where you have no competitive advantage and therefore all your competition can offer the exact same thing as your uh, as you do, which means your your customers, your big customers, they, they, they can just walk you off against them even when you're in, which means you'll never be profitable with that customer. They will always make sure that they get you down, that you have very little margin. And well, then you're going to have that little margin. Back to the profits piece that uh, technically the podcast, <laughs> this one is about <laughs> that. Well, if your margin is so low, what? At the end of the day, could you not be making more money doing something else? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it's very difficult for people, especially if you're the owner of your own company, and that it's very difficult to think of it like that. That okay, look. This, this business of mine is so tight with margins because of the, I've no way to differentiate myself from the competition and there's so much competition. Mm. Maybe I'm better off doing something else. Maybe I'm better off going back into the work stream for somebody else or trying to set up a different pivot to business or something where I don't have experience in those other things. It can, and people, especially if it's a one-man operation or a, a small company with the the owner still as the CEO, as the, as the director, the managing director, it's very personal to them as well. So it's yeah. very difficult to be able to walk away and think that you know wasn't it wasn't a great bit. They, they and that then can kind of trick them into yeah. forcing themselves to accept substandard situations. I agree, and one of the key things when you're making a key decision is that you need to be in your best frame of mind to think rationally and clearly about it. Is this the best thing for me? Not just because it solves an immediate problem, but over the long term, does this commercial deal make sense the way it's structured? Does the relationship feel right? Am I dealing with decent people? Or am I dealing with a slick salesperson or buyer who's promising to to make our make our business grow, but also attaching a whole load of conditions because that's the way they're trained to negotiate all these terms that are in their favour and then leave you exposed if anything 
goes awry, shall we say. So, for example, if you're a subcontractor and something falls foul, how do you protect yourself to make sure that it's not blamed on you as the subcontractor, that you did everything you could within reason, and it may have fallen foul because of something on the largest on the larger customer side, especially on contracts. And that that can be where profit again, the different measurements of profit can come in and yeah. be beneficial to you. That um, you 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 set this is your gross margin, so this is your gross profit and mm. percentage of sales, um, and you're not accepting less than that. And if yeah. a large customer and you think great, we're going to make huge sales here, but then they suddenly start trying to to cut down your gross margin if it goes below what you've set then you walk away how yeah. the you know, it's a it's a nice objective okay it's a little subjective what gross margin but once you've made the gross margin it becomes yeah. an objective thing that will this customer will this deal will this contract that we're signing into will this match our gross margin and if the answer is no then walk away don't say mm. well it lower our gross margin but our sales will be that much higher that no, if if you haven't got the power to keep to your gross to what your targets are, then even when they get you in, they'll cut you down and cut you down and cut you down and cut you down. And um, and it might not just be cutting you down; it might be nibbling on other services yeah. that they demand that will distract you, as I mentioned earlier, or it will force you away from your core competency into providing additional related services that you're not used to and are quite frankly misaligned with how your business operates. So then you're, yeah. The old 80-20 principle as well. This customer that's giving you 20% of your profits but taking up 80% of all your effort and your time. Yeah. And then you start losing your other customers who are giving you much better profits because you're not giving them enough attention. Attention. And then, and then it's worse because then you're stuck with this other big customer because you've just lost all your smaller customers. And then you see your profits dwindle. So it's, again, coming back to understanding your customers as well and the type of customer, the profile of customer you have. And can you make profits from them by delivering your services? And, again, that's how you tie your activities to your bottom line, ideally. So I think it all all meshes together. It's just the narrative behind what are those relationships, what type of products are you <laughs> providing, and to which customers, and are they good customers or are they customers that are deviating away from your core way of delivering, your core method of delivery. And another thing I wanted to add in there was the element of risk which we've just covered, albeit not explicitly called it out. So if a large customer, you fail to meet their obligations in the contract, or you've been deemed to have failed to meet the obligations because contractual arrangements and especially subcontractors, there's a complicated relationship there. You're doing part of the work for them. They're doing the other part. And if something goes wrong because it's interlinked, then there's invariably this blame game shall we say and you have to indemnify yourself so you need to think about well i need to get like like professional indemnity insurance in some instances liability insurance and 
how much does that cost and are you able to cover that cost? You can insure the risk or you can accept the risk, but then you have to accept the fact that you may be liable, shall we say. And, and that's actually another, we mentioned the kind of the large supermarkets taking advantage of the small suppliers. But over here in Ireland, recently, as in, I think it was the week just gone or possibly the week before, um, in the newspaper, there, there was um, an issue with that with subcontractors, as you said, in the building industry. And what's happening there seems to be a lot of the large building companies that are using subcontractors are then refusing to pay the subcontractors and effectively have them over a barrel and are getting them to agree to take lower amounts of money um, in, in return for it. And the, 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 those, the, the representative bodies of the subcontractors have been getting into the newspaper and I said, it's, it's, they, they have no choice but to take it because they haven't got the money to pay the wages. And what they end up doing is taking this much lower amount in order to be able to pay the wages, but then their margins are gone. They've made no profits. They may have even made losses, but they're so desperately stuck because if they don't take it, then it'll drag on the larger team won't pay them and they can't pay their wages then. And so they, they're gone as, as a thing. And again, that's the cash flow piece that they've seen an opportunity to make good profits. Well, good sales. Uh, they, they weren't necessarily making good profits. They, but all the power was with other with this with the ultimate contractor i suppose they could have been initially they were making profits based on the completion and uh, working progress by invoices profits but not being able to convert it into cash so those profits were converted into losses when they had to take bad debt write downs because effectively the customer wasn't able to pay them the full amount so they were negotiating reduced payments well, in this case, I, I, the, by the sounds of it, the customer could have easily, the customer being the uh, main contractor was the customer of the subcontractor. By the sounds of it, they were well able. They just wanted to increase their own profit margins. That is really they, nasty. The whole thing was, and that's, that's the thing. And they knew they had these subcontractors over the barrel because the subcontractor didn't have the cash flow to pay the wages. So they couldn't get involved in a long protracted legal dispute to claim the full amount. So they right, we'll we'll pay you sixty percent of what we agreed. Now take it or leave it. And the thing is, they either take that sixty percent now, or they get into a long protracted legal battle to get the hundred uh, percent. Which by the time it all goes through, or all the costs and that, will they or won't they? And um, even if they're entitled to it, the, the way the thing goes, so they end up taking the sixty percent, or sometimes even less, because they needed to pay the wages. They haven't got that cash. So be very that. Um, but over the long term, that those companies that do that, you'd like to think that there will be some form of justice because other subcontractors will be more wary when engaging with these businesses and they'll probably have written terms. And maybe it will be written into law because the wisdom should be, I'd, as, as a country, as an economy, you don't want bad players killing off smaller businesses because they're, 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 they're your potential revenues in the long term. Everyone should grow together. And for that customer, that large contractor that's done that, they've lost strategic partnerships that they could have used in the future, so they'll be less capable going forward, I would have thought. Well, you, you'd hope that that's their thing. Unfortunately, a lot of smaller companies though will go bust as a result because even when they take that 60%, yeah, they have enough now to pay the wages 
but they haven't got enough to pay all the other, other overheads that are still going under. But at least they don't owe the staff money. Um, yeah. And that's it. So you, you, I suppose it doesn't really have much to do with profits, but it was just like when you mentioned the subcontractors and that, these are little things to take into account. That you, just because you get a great, what looks like a great opportunity, make sure you're maintaining some kind of healthy profit margin, not just the top line. You don't want to just increase your sales. You want a, a good customer who will increase your profits ultimately. Mm. And and yeah. it's very and not all big, not all big powerful customers are going to take advantage. Some are good customers to have. There there are examples I, I know from my dad's time when he was a bed manufacturer, and there was a, a big retail. Uh, there was one key retail company here in Ireland that that specialised in furniture and, and beds. And my dad knew the guy who owned it, so he always got in there. But but if you were setting up a furniture place, that's the shop you wanted to get into. They were one of the biggest, but they paid their bills. They didn't leave anybody. When Once it was agreed, what they paid you. So if you could get in there, as long as you were good, giving good quality stuff, they weren't trying to haggle you down on every piece to, to wipe out your margin so that they could maximize theirs. They kind of agreed the price with you uh, and, and they stuck to it. And they were happy enough, and then occasionally prices will go up. But uh, as long as you weren't taking, t- trying to take advantage of them, they wouldn't take advantage of you. And if you're providing them a good quality, they'd keep you going. And if you could get in there, that was a great um, place. So there are some good large companies that you want to get into, but make sure you're maintaining your profits, not just your yourselves, and yeah. uh, and and try not to end up in a situation where you are too dependent on one or two big customers that they could start taking advantage of you. Um, no, I agree. And I think I think we've covered as much as I've got on profitability. And thank you, John. Is there anything else you'd like to add to that? No, I suppose, I suppose we haven't. We probably should uh, class as as a different type of podcast it's not pure profitability we've, we've discussed quite a bit you know, yeah it really is just kind of on the tangents we've gone off on tangents but that that is profitability though it's, um, exactly unless you want to just discuss pure accounting profits which i imagine would be very boring for even accountants never mind anyone else oh yeah we could talk about ifrs and convergence and yeah, yeah the ifrs 15 and revenue recognition and all of that <laughs> stuff and at the end of the day we're talking about making money what is profit about and how it ties to a business. So, um, and there's a few things I'd like to share, but again, that that can be for another episode. So thank you, John, for sharing and also being open about those experiences and providing the balance. And with that, uh, we conclude this episode of Business Breaks on Profits. Thank you very much, John. Thank you, that's it. This podcast shares experiences and insights gained from business, IT, and digital finance. Hosted by two leaders who have made the leap themselves, this show is dedicated to helping listeners think differently about their career aspirations.